We now have our Bible readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Micah, chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. In this reading, the prophet Micah describes what God requires of each of us, a life dedicated to him. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, immortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Glory to you, O Lord. In this reading, Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, in the power of the Holy Spirit, announcing he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's great messianic prophecy. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he was brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Thank you, Keith. Do please be seated and uh, join me in a prayer as I begin. Father, help us realise that we are not here by accident, that you created each one of us for a special purpose, and part of our destiny as your children is to recognise that you are the true source of compassion and justice, both of which virtues we are to reflect 
in our lives as best we can. To your glory. Amen. Well, we continue today the series Thriving as a Steward of Mission, and uh, we focus today on compassion and justice. Whatever we do as Christians, however we behave, should essentially be a reflection of the love God first showed to us. And in terms of our theme, compassion and justice, this is brought out in our reading from Micah, which I'd like to praise from verse 5 using the Life Application Bible version, which is more modern. It says this, Don't you remember, my people, how Balak tried to destroy you through the curse of Balaam? But I made him bless you instead. That is the kindness I showed you again and again. How can we make up to you for what we've done, you ask, with all kinds of offerings? No. He has told you what he wants, and this is all it is to be fair and just and merciful, and to walk humbly with your God. So the concepts of compassion and justice are linked. Justice, in a way, demands that because of what we've done wrong and the selfish way we behave, we should have compassion on others. Sacrifices and rituals won't do, God wants to see our lives change, which is the point of mission, the context of the series theme today, Thriving as Stewards of Mission. How do we thrive in that aim? Simply by acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God words that trip off the tongue but are not so easy to fulfill. In Matthew 23, Jesus warns the religious leaders of the day, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices but neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. And the Greek word for justice is krisin, from which we derive our word crisis. And it meant the act of judging a right to defend or vindicate those who are wronged. And it's interesting that Jesus links it to mercy And Paul reminds us in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. So we all need mercy, otherwise we're condemned. And that's why God requires us to be merciful to each other in exercising judgment. And it's easy for us, I think, to want justice 
to recognise what justice requires in a particular case, proper punishment perhaps, or retribution handed out to those who do wrong. But depending on our worldview or the media mood of the moment, we tend to overlook mercy. In the Song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, God reminded the Israelites, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And the Lord, of course, is the only one who can safely and perfectly do it. We can't because we make mistakes, as we've seen in the news this week with the US drone strike in Kabul. Moses went on to tell the Israelites, these are not just idle words for you. They are your life. God's word, God's advice and command is life itself. So, our obligation to judge correctly, tempered with mercy, is in loving response to God's justice and mercy to us, and is achieved as these, along with other beautiful aspects of his character, begin to seep into our souls and take root in our hearts. And another demonstration of God's inner work in us is through compassion. And here we have Jesus, of course, as our perfect example. Mark 1, chapter 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Compassion is a wonderful onomatopoeic word in the Greek and it's from splagnia, meaning the viscera, our innards, the lungs, the heart, the liver, which were considered to be the seat of feelings of pity. We would say today his heart was moved, which not only implies a deep sharing identification with other people's pain, but also a desire to relieve it. Jesus was always ready to help those suffering in body or mind and says to the leper, I am willing, making it clear that he is effecting the healing, revealing his heart for all in pain. And we are to follow suit While we may not be able to heal miraculously, we can still show we care. Like so many frontline workers have done during the pandemic. And that compassion of itself can sometimes aid physical recovery. 
final point to note from this episode was that the leper came to Jesus in complete humility. He knew he was in trouble. And clearly, the renown that Jesus had gained early on in his ministry convinced the leper to seek out Jesus, which was a brave act in itself, of course, in those days when lepers were isolated in colonies where they were supposed to remain. Micah exhorts us to walk humbly with our God. That's not easy in today's celebrity culture, although latterly I think we do see examples, particularly mental health and stress, that reveal cracks in the thin veneer that we sense celebrity is made out to be. And from my own experience with Grace Trust, it's clear that falling on hard times can happen to anyone. Perhaps as the damage from the pandemic continues to be felt, we might bear that in mind and not be so quick to judge the homeless or destitute that we see in the park. There's always a strong story behind the pain. Judge aright, temper it with mercy, exercise compassion and walk humbly. So our duty is clear, but we aim to do this as Christians in the context of mission and as our main theme urges us to thrive as stewards of mission. As Christians, our lives are the biggest sermons we'll ever preach. So whether we like it or not, we're all on the front line. We're all in it together. And although that may not be the most comfortable place for us to be, we can put it into perspective by looking at what happened to Jesus in our reading from Luke 4, which takes place after his temptation in the desert. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus returned to his home area, Galilee, where his fame quickly grew. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and where on the Sabbath he preaches from the prophet Isaiah. And it's a remarkable scene in which Jesus reads Isaiah's prophecy about himself. Let's look at what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, from creo in the Greek, a sacred anointing, to preach good tidings to the poor. And the poor here are not just those in need. The sense in the Greek is of folk who are cringing, like beggars, like the leper we've just seen. People aware of their completely helpless situation, recalling the humility Micah spoke of. And for us truly to walk humbly with our God, I think we must be aware of our total dependence on his grace 
and mercy to lift us out of our condition. And if we realise that we are in fact poor in spirit, it might help us judge with mercy and have compassion on others who are where we could easily be save for the grace of God. And so I hope we can begin to see how the elements of our theme interconnect. Continuing, he has sent me the verb apostolo to commission as one would an ambassador to herald to captives release. And the sense here is prisoners of war taken into exile by a conqueror. So they're not even prisoners in a local jail. The image is of the devil holding captives who have no hope of escape through their own efforts. It's as if they were all on Devil's Island. And yet Jesus stands as a courageous herald to proclaim release, aphasis in the Greek, which not only implies a physical release, but is also the common New Testament word for remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. So it's true deliverance indeed. Physical deliverance and deliverance from sins. Recovery of sight for the blind. The idea here of prisoners who can't see because they're in deep, dark dungeons. Again, completely helpless. To release the oppressed, those who are crushed, and by implication, by their sin, the effects of which can linger on, can't they? Even after you've been forgiven, you can still be crushed in your conscience by what you've done. And yet Jesus brings complete release from that as well, which is total freedom. And the joy of that and the weight, as it were, lifted off is implied in verse 19 to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And the reference here is to the Jewish year of Jubilee, which was the 50th year after seven sabbatical years, seven times seven sets of sabbatical years. And the Jubilee was required to ensure that all the Israelites forgave their debts, that all slaves would be freed and interestingly that all land sales would be reversed. So the longest tenure that the Israelites could have of land was actually 49 or 50 years. All land sales would have to be reversed. Debts cancelled, 
slaves set free. Can you see what that would have done to the social fabric of the Israelites, or what it was supposed to do? Because there's little evidence that it was actually done. And what it might do today. What would that do to poverty? Slavery. Debtors, creditors. That's the year of Jubilee. That's what Jesus is sent to proclaim in all its fullness. And then finally, Jesus delivers the revelation to his townsfolk, people who knew him, knew him as a a boy growing up. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, to have been there. The word has been read to them by the word himself. (laughs) They didn't realise it. Because when he later, in his sermon, proceeded to deliver some home truths to the Nazarenes, they soon turned on him and drove him out of town. They were going to stone him, but he escaped. A sobering reminder that just because we have the most wonderful news to share with folk who may not even realise that they're being held prisoner, they might not welcome it. They might be comfortable, actually, where they are in prison, effectively. But nevertheless, we should carry on anyway, persevering and living out as best we can the compassion and justice of our Lord and God. Amen.